Blog Talk Radio. Good morning in the ancient 
Paleo Hebrew. I am your host for today, your brother, your friend, as always, Taza Powell. I'm joined once again, y'all, by my wife, Pastor Diet, in the building. Hello. So uh, let me do this real quick, y'all. I'm running a little behind schedule. Yep, I'm getting text messages already about the link. So let me send a link out. Excuse me for a second, y'all. So had extra night, extra late last night, um, last night, y'all. Enjoy myself, man. Good to see the brothers and the sisters. We were celebrating at the school um, Memorial of the Blowing of the Trumpets, man, which is uh, one of the high holy days that the Most High requires us to honor and to celebrate um, the Memorial of the Blowing of the Trumpets. You can read about it in Leviticus, the 23rd chapter, uh, how we were supposed to blow the horns. Now, when you would blow a horn, it was several uh, blows that you would do. You would do one blow to warn the people that it was dangerous. You would do another blow to uh, let the people know it was time to gather. So the blowing of the horns is us being, you know, being told that it's time for Israel to gather once again. And um, this would be, uh, man, because it, it was a pretty big gap between the last high holy day that we had um, cause it was, let me see, Purim, Passover, Feast of Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and, um, after, well, First Fruits is actually Pentecost, which would be, um, seven Sabbaths or 50 days from, um, Feast of Unleavened Bread. And then uh, we haven't had a high holy day since, and we would go all the way to um, the, the change of seasons, which would bring us into fall time, which is now fall is upon us. And then we would celebrate or come back together from not seeing each other uh, for how many months is that? Mashaba, if you're listening in, help me out real quick. Um, so when was um, Pentecost? I think it was May. Wait a minute, April, May. No, I, I believe Pentecost was May. Probably like the end of May. So. August. Yeah like four or five months since we've gathered. So, and I'm, I'm just talking about in modern times. That's for us. But it would be the same thing for us uh, when we were in ancient times, we were in our land. We would go a space of four to five months without seeing each other because we had so much land, y'all, that we really didn't see each other, honestly, uh, unless there was a gathering such as the Sabbath, which with the most which the most high tells us to come together. That's why he says, uh, forsake not the gathering. So us seeing each other is very important to the most high and it should be very important to us to see each other, to fellowship with one another, 
And just, you know, just to see how everybody is doing, man, put a finger on everybody um, to make sure that health is good, uh, spiritual health and physical health, and just to see each other, man. I mean, <clears throat> it's it's in our spirit to want to see each other and be around each other. This is why we like gatherings. This is why we like going to the club. This is why we like uh, festivals and concerts and, and whatnot. Because we generally like seeing each other. It's in our spirit to want to be around each other, to want to be drawn to each other. That's been in our spirit. The Most High put it in our spirit, man. So that's why the Most High uh, has us come together and celebrate, man, all under uh, the umbrella of him, man, the Most High, Yahweh Shai, which the world calls Christ. So we had a good time doing that, man, uh, late night, like I said. Everybody was struggling to get up this morning, myself included. <clears throat> but uh, shalom, everybody, man. And like I said, welcome to the show. want to send shots out to all the brethren and sisters here in San Antonio camp, the ISBHPK. Um, want to send shots out to the brothers in Houston, uh, VA, Rochester, shouts out to uh, Kawakab down in Guatemala doing this thing. Shouts out to the brothers in, in Albuquerque, man. Um, I really, y'all, I've been dealing with this topic uh, since last week. And, man, you know how these topics go. Once I dig into them, I really don't know uh, where they're going to take me. And I did have, um, I had a expectation of what I wanted to put together and where I wanted to go with this class, man. But the scriptures tell us that the spirit is like the wind, man. And that is a fact because this class took me in places I didn't know I was going to end up going. And some of it sounds familiar, but anyway, y'all long story short, um, I'm not going to do a lot of news today. It is a current event that I definitely want to deal with. So we're going to dig into that. Uh, Welcome to the show if it's your first time tuning in. Welcome to uh, Blog Talk Radio presented uh, by ISBHPK, sponsored by Sword of Truth, Bible Talk. So welcome to the show, y'all. And like I just said, I usually do about an hour of news, current events, or what have you. Then go into my topic. This morning, I'm not going to do a lot of current events or news uh, because this topic is so uh, extensive. And I want to get 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 into it, man. Got a lot of reading to do. So what I did want to cover, like I said, and this is a current event I want to deal with. Y'all probably heard about... Um, the brother, uh, the coach of the Boston Celtics, getting caught up um, dealing with somebody on the job. And I believe she was married. Shame on that dude. That's adultery, according to the Bible. But he was uh, in the process of dealing with Neil Long. And I remember getting the information. I was like, wow, man. This brother basically jacked his career up for some twice. And um, people were, you know, feeling, oh, why you do Neil like that? Neil Long, Neil Long, no, my woo, woo, woo. She's our childhood um, 
a lot of brothers, childhood crush, a lot of sisters wanted to be like her, et cetera, et cetera. Feeling sorrow for her situation. So, you know, I, I get on, um, I do YouTube uh, quite a bit and just current events, news in general, man. Try to keep my ears open. Well, anyway, I ran across this blogger, man, and he did a segment uh, dealing with uh, Neil Long. I forgot the dude's name or his show. But he was bringing out how Neil Long then basically been passed around throughout the industry, and he had her body count list, had her body count list. And I looked a little bit of this stuff up, man, and, yeah, man, it's like a damn rabbit hole. So it gave me the, the people she dealt with, and then it gave me people that other people dealt with. Some of the people, some she dealt with a lot of the same people that other chicks in the industry dealt with. Like her and um, what's the chick name, Megan Good. They didn't dealt with some of the same dudes, man. And like I said, it was about 15 dudes that the dude called off. But what struck me, man, as appalling was the brother was saying, hey, y'all, listen, it's not how many dudes that ran through her. That ain't the issue. It's who the dudes were. <laughs> and I'm like, what? <laughs> What they do that at? In what world is it is it uh, cool or acceptable to have a bunch of rods ran through you as a woman? I mean, this where we at now, y'all. And he was trying to talk about the the dudes, the rods he had in there, like that was the most pressing issue. Cause and I was had my mouth open. I ain't gonna lie, man. So she basically ran through all, allegedly, ran through all the Chris's. <laughs> and when I said all the Chris's, they, she dealt with Chris Weber. She dealt with Chris Rock and Chris Tucker. So she, she did all the Chris's. <laughs> but I was like, why is this dude saying this like this is not an issue? I want us to understand, y'all, that according to the scriptures, if you've had more than one ride, and I'm keeping it PG-13, y'all, if you had more than one man in your life, in your womb, then according to the scriptures, you're a whore. You're a hoe. That's, that's not something you want to be proud of. It's not. But then the dude went on to say that he said, man, ain't nobody tripping off the number because we've all had 15 people that we've had sex with, but it's not a big deal. And he said, who wants a virgin? Nobody wants a virgin. I'm like, ooh, what were we? Did this idiot just say that shit? Ooh, I'm sorry, y'all. Excuse my French. <laughs> that, one, that, one, that one slipped. But I'm like, did he really just say that? Who wants a virgin? Idiot. <clears throat> what man wants a woman that's been with a lot of men? And he kept, he was contradicting himself because he made the 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 comparison or he gave the scenario about let's say you go to a party with your significant other 
and she see a dude and he speak to her and she speak to him, then you ask, okay, who was him? And she's like, oh, he went to date. Then she see another dude at the same party, who was him? Oh, we used to date. And she see another dude at the same party, oh, we used to date. That's embarrassing. That's shameful. But then he come back and talk about nobody wants a virgin. <clears throat> dude, there's nothing more than a man would love but a virgin. The benefits of being a, with a woman who's chased, who hasn't seen any other penises, is she has no one to compare you to. <laughs> Number one, this is what men wrestle with now. What the hell? Uh, Music Soul Child made that song called Previous Catch. And in the song, he goes into how he's not to blame for the pain that was caused by previous cats. He's talked to his, his now woman. Like, don't blame me and don't hold me responsible for how those other niggas dealt with you because I'm not them. But this is what we deal with as men. We're dealing with the pain, the heartbreak, or whatever our women have experienced by dealing with other niggas. We got to come in and clean that up. We got to change her whole mindset to say, hey, you're not with Tyrone no more. You with me. Tyrone may have liked this, but I don't like that. I like this. So there's a bunch of retraining you have to do as a man dealing with your woman that's been with other men. Nobody want to do that. Ain't no damn cake party. It ain't party time. You don't want your woman to be experienced. You want your woman to be unexperienced so you can train and teach her what you like, the things you like to do, what positions you like. And I'm being PG-13, but I'm being realistic at the same time, man. Of course you want a damn virgin. Of course you do. Nobody wants a hoe. Let me back up a little bit, y'all. I jumped into that topic way too soon. Let's get Matthew chapter 6, verse 9. I'm sorry, y'all. I was just, I was, I was took away by that one. But let me start the show off properly, man. Actually, this goes right into what I'm talking about. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. This is the prayer we need to be sending up on a daily, man, so we can get the hell up out of here. And our people can stop being convinced that no man wants a virgin, that we want a woman that's experienced. This is the prayer we need to be sending up to get away from all this damn madness and sickness. Give me Psalms now. Psalms uh, chapter 118 and verse 24. Psalm 118, 24. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So good or bad, happy or sad, most of bring us to it, he's going to bring us to it. We have to accept where we are. This is where we are, y'all. And this is, the day that the Lord had made, man, this is what he put together. We have to separate. This is where we're at right now. So dealing with that topic, give me the first scripture I told you to get. Leviticus 19.29. All right, so let's read this, y'all. Leviticus 
You got it? Yeah. Please. Leviticus 19.29. Do not prostitute thy daughter. What, what does the scripture say? Do not prostitute thy daughter. And you might say, well, Tuck's part, nobody's prostituting their daughter. Nobody is dressing their daughter up and telling them to go out and tell their tale. Um, directly, probably not. But then again, some people probably are. But indirectly, you are. When you're telling your daughter, hey, don't settle for the first man you get with, what are you making your daughter into? A prostitute. When you're telling your daughter, hey, get that money, girl, Hey, you sitting on that money maker? Hey, girl, don't don't give it up for free. What are you telling your daughter? You're you're training her to be a prostitute, a pro, a streetwalker. But the Most High said, don't do it. When you, as a woman or mother, you're dressing promiscuous, provocative. You're dressing very subjectively, leaving nothing to the imagination. You dress like that. What do you think your daughter going to wear? She's going to wear the same whore uniform, whore's uniform that you're wearing. And then you want to get mad when somebody approaches you that, that, in, that, in that way, in that fashion, but you're presenting yourself that way. But that's what you're doing with the damn eyelashes, with the damn uh, heart to tops. You got a heart to top on, and your damn belly is sticking out. you like you're pregnant. What, what is that about? That, there is our women have no damn shame, man. You got all your belly hanging out. We can see stretch marks. You got rolls for days. Look like a damn cinnamon roll. And you think that's that's you think that's appropriate dress for a mother? You trying to compete with your daughter? You got damn booty shorts on or or, or swimming suits. We can see cottage cheese, and I'm talking about y'all wearing this in public. You ain't at the pool. You're not at the pool. You're wearing this in public, to the bar, to the club, to the damn grocery store. You, it's just shameful. There's nothing left to the imagination. This is prostituting your daughter because you're setting a bad example. Read this again. Do not prostitute thy daughter to cause her to be a whore. Because you're causing her to be a what? A whore. A loose woman. You with your tight, your tight jeans. Your yoga pants on. Spandex and yoga pants 24-7. That's all that's in your wardrobe. And you big as hell. You ain't going to no gym. They like you working out. They like you really doing yoga. You just got this slut apparel on. And who's watching you? Who's watching how you moving? Your daughter. She's going to do the same thing. Read. Lest the land fall to whoredom. The Most High said if you do this. And our women have done this. And this is why it says, less than land fall into whoredom. The land is synonymous with the people. Our people have fell into whoredom, man. It's acceptable now to be a whore. That's the style. Read. And the land become full of wickedness. The land becomes full of wickedness, and that's where we are right now, y'all. I, I read a, a, a headline. I didn't even get into the article because I was disgusted. It's saying why women are choosing to be a side piece rather than to be a wife. I'm like, wow. This is where we're at right now? This is where we're at right now. And that's acceptable. That's acceptable right now. Give me the next scripture. 
Deuteronomy 22 and 13. If any man take a wife and go in unto her and hate her and give occasions of speech against her and bring up an evil name upon her and say, I took this woman and when I came to her, I found her not a maid. So he's saying, hey, I mean, I got with this woman. We lay down to get married and she was loose. She was loosey-goosey. Somebody had already been in that territory. This woman had already been with another man. That's why I talk about an evil name. This woman was considered a hoe. Read on. Verse 15. Then shall the father of the damsel and her mother take and bring forth the tokens of the damsel's virginity. The tokens is the sheet with the blood from the hymen that was broken for it being her first time. See, they're bringing proof that yeah, she was a virgin. No, my daughter ain't no hoe, nigga. You better watch that. This is what he's saying. Read. Unto the elders of the city in the gate. Mm-hmm. And the damsel's father shall say unto the elders, I gave my daughter unto this man to wife, and he hated her. I gave my daughter to this fool, and now he hates her. Now he don't like her. Read. And lo, he has given occasions of speech against her. And now he's spreading rumors about my daughter. Read. Saying, I found not thy daughter a maid. Saying, hey, somebody already been in that. This woman a hoe. Read. And yet, these are the tokens of my daughter's virginity. Hey, but I got proof that my daughter was a virgin when she got with this dude. That she had never been with a man. Read. And they shall spread the cloth before the elders of the city. And the elders of that city shall take the man. So he going to bring the proof. They're going to look at the proof. And the elders going to take that man, the one that spread rumors about this brother's daughter, read. And chastise him. They're going to beat the hell out of this fool. Why? Read. And they shall immerse him in an hundred shekels of silver and give them unto the father of the damsel, because he hath brought up an evil name upon a virgin of Israel. He done brought up a what? An evil name. He had brought up an evil name. It was shameful for a woman to be a hoe. Now, what's so important about a name? Give me the next one, Ecclesiastes 7 and 1. Why is it so important to have a good name? Because your good name represents you. It's your reputation. Ecclesiastes 7 1. Read. A good name is better than precious ointment. A good name is better than precious ointment. Your reputation is on the line. Our women don't get this. When you you get reports about a woman that's, oh, she's the jump off. And she's this, she's that. Our women are now wearing this as a badge of honor. They're happy to jump on rides, many of them. The scriptures talk about uh, that type of woman. She's the equivalency of being someone being in the garden of cucumbers. The scriptures say that. I'm just being PG-13. Read. And the day of death than the day of one's birth. Why would the day of death be better than one's birth? Because when you die, the only thing people have is your memory. And your memory is what you're going to be known by. If you were a good person, then at the day of your death, everybody's going to talk about what a good person you are. Unfortunately, people even say that if you were not a good person, they just lie, you know, just out of respect for people. But secretly, they're going to be talking crap. 
uh, you know, he wasn't S-H-I-T, or you know she wasn't whatever. Give me the next one. Jeremiah 2 and 21. Now listen to this. Read. Yet I have planted thee a noble vine. The Most High said he planted the children of Israel to be a noble vine. He's comparing us to a plant. So think of your, the most uh, significant plant on the planet of the earth. That would be us, the most essential plant on the planet of the earth. That is us. Read. Holy a right seed. Right seed. Read. How then art thou turned into the degenerate plant? Now he said we didn't turn into a what type of plant? Degenerate plant. A degenerate. Nobody wants us saying he don't even want to claim us as his kids no more because we've gotten that bad. There's so much courtum going on in Israel. He said he don't even want to claim us. He said we degenerate the nation. They go around and they uh, celebrate being degenerate like that damn sodomite Ellen Degenerate. <laughs> That's a name? You're happy to be, huh? <laughs> same, same thing. <laughs> You're happy to be degenerate? You're happy to be a misplaced child. Is that it? Degenerate plant of a strange vine unto me. The most I call us strange now. And he's our heavenly father. But we're, we've gotten that bad. There's so much for them going on in Israel. He said that we're strange to him now. He don't even recognize us. Give me the next one. Lamentations 4 and 1. How is the gold become dim? He says, and this is talking about us. He said, how is the gold? How have we become dim? Gold shines. But you know how you don't shine your gold in a while? It be looking all faded and just old. That's the way we look to the most high right now. Read. How is the most fine gold changed? How how do we even change? Read. The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. Now, this is speaking allegorically. It says the stones of the sanctuary. The, stone, uh, uh, the stones of any building is its foundation. And it tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 3 and verse 16 that we are the temple of the Most High, that the Spirit of the Most High dwells in us. So the stones is referring to us. Read the part again. The stones of the sanctuary are poured out in the top of every street. We all in the street, our women all in the street, just loose as hell, belly fat, stress marks, rolls, and everything. Read. The precious sons of Zion. Com- the precious sons of Zion, talking about Israel, read. Comparable to fine gold. Once upon a time, we were compared to fine gold, read. How are they esteemed as earthen pitchers? But now we just ashtrays and damn spit platoons. That's an earthen pitcher, y'all. Something that holds trash. You waste baskets now, read. The work of the hands of the potter. The work of the Most High, read. Even the sea monsters draw out the breath. Now listen to this. It talks about a sea monster, meaning it draws out the breath. It nourishes its children, read. They give suck to their young ones. Read on. The daughter of my people is become cruel. But the daughter of of our people, our women have become cruel. But how, read. Like the ostriches in the wilderness. 
like an ostrich in the wilderness, read. The tongue of the sucking child cleaveth to the root of his mouth for meaning, thirst. Meaning the child needs nourishment. The child needs guidance. The child needs knowledge, wisdom, know-how. But our women ain't giving it. All our women is, te- is teaching their daughters how to be a hoe. And the child is thirsting for knowledge, thirsting for nourish- for spiritual nourishment. Read. The young children ask bread. They ask for nourishment. Mom, how should I pick out a good man? What is a good man? Mom, should I be thotting? Mom, should, should I be the jump off? Mom, is this outfit appropriate? Mom, should I carry myself like this? They're asking for bread. They're asking for nourishment, guidance. Read. And no man breaketh it unto them. And the mamas ain't giving it to them, and it's just no man. The daddies ain't even giving it to them either because the dads are used to dealing with hoes because, hell, their mom is a hoe. So what is the dad? Is the dad going to say anything when she puts that dress on that's too short? When she got them damn pants on, showing all her anatomy? When she's got the belly rolls and all of this, she's dressing seductively, sexy as they call it? He ain't going to say nothing. Read. They that did feed delicately are desolate in the street. Those that did feed delicate. Delicate means um, very fragile, very emotional. Those that did feed off emotions or what? Are desolate in the street. They're They're wasting themselves away in the streets. Because they're caught up in their feelings. This is what it talks about feeding delicately. Um, everything I do is based off of sensitivity. It's based off of how many likes I get, how many likes I don't get, how, many, how much attention I get. Everything I do is based off attention. Because of that, now I'm wasting away in the street. I done ran through 20 niggas by the age of 21. Or 18. By the time I'm 50, I done been through 100 niggas, and I'm saying, I ain't no hoe. Stop. Women, men, if you're a woman and you live in this lifestyle, man, take take some inventory. What are you going to be worth to the next guy? What What do you have to offer a husband? Is anybody going to want to take you for a wife? Sadly to say, there's it's some fools out there that's, that like garden tools. Anyway, y'all, for lack of time, uh, let's jump into the topic, man. Uh, so the title is um, Ladies First, the Prophetess, Prophetesses of the Bible. So last week, uh, and I'm moving kind of fast, y'all. I apologize, but I'm trying to get get it in. Last week we stopped in um, the Josephus, Book Five, Chapter Five, Page One Forty, and we were putting that together with Judges Chapter Four, y'all. So let's go. That's where we're going right now. So we're transitioning over. I'm actually getting into the class. 
titled Ladies First, the Prophetesses of the Bible. So we're discussing uh, Deborah because that is the name that most people like to pull out when they're talking about women preaching in the church and all of that. So Judges chapter 4. Yes, get that and hold it. It's going to be in this show sequence too. So get this and start a paragraph one. We're going to read quite a bit of this. So we're going to do just a little bit of recapping, y'all. And if you're not familiar with the Josephus, Josephus is one of our uh, historians that was taken um, captive. He really surrendered. I'm going to do a whole little thing on Josephus. But anything, uh, anyway, um, he was captured, and the, um, the Romans asked him to do, to give, history on us as a people and as a nation because it was um, customary or smart when you capture the people or went up against the people to know their tendencies, the way they operate, et cetera, et cetera. You have to know your enemy, y'all. So this was a, a way for the Romans to know us and what we were about. So he originally wrote uh, the Wars of the Jews in which he gives information on how Israel fell and all the Roman insurrections we had, uh, Israelite insurrections we had against Rome. And then he put together the antiquity of the Jews, which goes as far back as the book of Genesis. And what he does is he gives us uh, information that coincides with the Bible, and he gives us a little bit more details, y'all. So we're in the Josephus, and uh, start reading the highlights, please, now. Antiquities of the Jews, chapter 5, paragraph 1, line 198. And now it was that the Israelites, taking no warning by their former misfortunes to amend their manners, and neither worshiping God nor submitting to the laws, were brought under slavery by Jabin, the king of the Canaanites. So this goes right along with Judges chapter 4 and verse uh, 1 and verse 2. Read on. And that before they had a short breathing time after the slavery under the Moabites, for this Jabin came out of Hazor, a city that was situate over the lake Semechanitis, and had in pay 300,000 footmen and 10,000 horsemen with no fewer than 3,000 chariots. Sisera was the commander of all his army, and was the principal person in the king's favor. So these people were coming against the children of Israel with a great army. Read. He so sorely beat the Israelites when they fought with him that he ordered them to pay tribute. So he whooped up on us, and he, t- he told us we were going to pay tribute. Tribute is taxes. Read. Paragraph 2. So they continued to undergo that hardship for 20 years. So for 20 years we was under this dude's thumb. Read. As not good enough of themselves to grow wise by their misfortune. And we weren't uh, wise enough to put together resistance to get out of this situation because we weren't honoring the Most High. We were sinning, which means to break the law of the Most High. We were doing a lot of that. It's going to tell us, Read. 
God was willing also hereby the more to subdue their obstinacy and ingratitude towards himself. So when at length they were become penitent and were so wise as to learn that their calamities arose from their contempt of the laws, they besought Deborah. So it says the most, what is basically saying is the most high was going to help us if we start breaking the law. If we stop breaking the law, he was going to help us. If we stop sinning, he was going to send help. So we besought who? Deborah. We besought Deborah. Read. A certain prophetess among them. A certain prophetess among them. Now, I went over this last week, and I gave the definition of a prophet and got into the attributes of a prophet. You are a prophet when you speak the word of God, you edify that word, or you exemplify the will of the Father. You're doing the will of the Father. That's what makes you a prophet. So a prophetess is somebody that teaches or preaches the word of the Most High and edifies it or does the will of the Most High. All right? I want us to understand that. So, yes, this is a woman teaching giving the words of the Most High to the Israelites. We're going to find that out. And doing the will of the Father. Not her will, but the will of the Father. Read on. Deborah, a certain prophetess among them, which name in the Hebrew tongue signifies a bee, Mm -hmm. to pray to the Most High to take pity on them and not to overlook them. So she prayed to the Most High for herself? No, she prayed for the people. I want us to understand this. This is what a real prophet does, a real prophetess. <laughs> this is what she does. She's all about the people, not herself, not her self-interest, not her self-gain. Read. Now they were ruined by the Canaanites. So God granted them deliverance and chose them a general, Barak, one that was of the tribe of Nisali. Now listen to this It says God chose Them a general Some people will read this story That's in Judges chapter 4 And say see Deborah was the savior No Deborah was not The savior Deborah was the prophetess That uh, intervened On the most high's behalf But the brother Barak was the leader. He was the general. I want to understand this. Read on. One that was of the tribe of Nisali. Uh-huh. Read. Now, Barak in the Hebrew tongue signifies lightning. hmm So Deborah sent for Barak and bade him choose out of 10,000 young men to go against the enemy. Because Did she order him? Bade him. Bade means to ask, request. Um, yeah, to ask a request Did he go do what? Bade him choose out of 10,000 young men To go against the enemy Because God had said That that number was sufficient Because who had said? God She said this God The Most High said that that was a sufficient number This ain't something she put together on her own, y'all I want us to understand this Read and promised them victory. 
But when Barack said that he would not be the general unless she would also go as a general with him. Now listen to this. Barack said that he wouldn't go unless she came with him. Now, we're going to hold this right here, and let's go to Judges chapter 4. And I want you to read sort uh, of verse 4. Judges 4 and 4. And Deborah, a prophetess, the wife of Lapidoth, Israel at that time. So she was a judge, read. And she dwelt under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in Mount Ephraim. And the children of Israel came up to her for judgment. And she sent and called Barak, the son of Abinoam, out of Kadesh Naphtali, and said unto him, Hath not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor? So she said, Have not, meaning that the Most High had already been telling this dude to go up and fight these people. He had already told him this. But she's coming in saying the same thing. Had not the Lord God of Israel commanded, saying, Go and draw toward Mount Tabor? So this dude, Barak, was acting very cowardly, acting very unmanly. Read. And take with thee 10,000 men of the children of Nathali and of the children of Zebulun, and I will draw unto thee to the river Kishon Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his multitude, and I will deliver him into thine hand. I will deliver him into your hand. Now, she's saying I, but who gave her this position or this authority? Well, she's still saying what God said the whole time. Oh, yeah. Oh, my bad. The mo- she's quoting what the Most High said. Read. And I will deliver him into thine hand. And Barak said unto her, if thou will go with me. Now, listen to what he's saying. Like I said, he was acting very unmanly. He was... Um, <laughs> Man, I got to get this one. I'm sorry, y'all. <laughs> ah, I can't get it. Don't worry, buddy. Go ahead, read. If thou will go with me, then I will go. But if thou wilt not go with me, then I will not go. So this dude, like, hey, if you go with me, I'm go. But if you don't go, I ain't going. And this goes right along with what we just read in the Josephus. So go back to the Josephus, to where we were. And what I wanted to get out of this, y'all, was this dude had been told before to go fight these people, and he didn't go. So read where you were in the Josephus. But when Barak said that he would not be the general unless she would also go as a general with him, she had indignation at what he said. She had indignation. She was displeased at what he said. Look at the definition for indignation real quick. We got this last week. I'm doing a small recap. Indignation. Anger aroused by something unjust, unworthy, or mean. She said what he said to her was unjust. She felt unworthy. She said it was mean. Why would she say that it was mean or unjust or unfair? Because this dude basically just put her in the position of a man. He put her in the position of authority. He did. 
And she she was like, what? Read that part again. But when Bar- from Josephus. Mm-hmm. But when Barack said that he would not be the general unless she would also go as a general with him, she had indignation at what he said and replied, Thou, O Barack, deliverest up meanly that authority which God has given thee. She said, You're delivering up meanly authority that he gave. He, the Most High just gave you the authority. Now you're giving it to me? This is what she was mad about. This is what bothered her. Read. Into the hand of a woman. She said what? Into the hand of a woman. Read that part again. I'm going to try try not to interrupt. Read. Thou, O Barak, deliverest up meanly that authority which God has given thee into the hand of a woman. She even knew that this was off. Dude, why are you delivering this authority up to me when God gave you the authority? Read. And I do not reject it. Yeah, she said no, but I ain't going to reject it, though. Read. So they collected 10,000 men and pitched their camp at Mount Tabor, where at the king's command, Sisera met them and pitched his camp not far from the enemy. Where? Yeah. That's all I want from the Josephus. Let's go back to Judges now. Chapter 4 and, matter of fact, I think we all going to have to go back to the Josephus. Keep the Josephus handy. Uh, let me see if I want to get out of that. Matter of fact, keep reading the Josephus. Where at the king's command, Sisera met them and pitched his camp not far from the enemy, whereupon the Israelites and Barak himself were so affrighted at the multitude of those enemies that they were resolved to march off had not Deborah retained them. Now, dude, this is how cowardly our men were, how scared our men were. And we needed a woman to give us some damn backbone to go fight. This this is this is where we were as a people, as men? Now you can understand why the Most High chose this woman. <laughs> Chose this woman, man. The scripture says, it's in Romans, it says the things are written aforetime or written for our learning. We're supposed to be learning from this. Our men were so damn cowardly at this time, the most high had to use a woman to ridicule us, to clown us, to show us how weak we were. Look, listen to this, man. I can't make this stuff up. Read it again. Somewhere. The last, the portion you just read. Okay. Whereupon the Israelites and Barak himself were so affrighted at the multitude of those enemies. Scared. Read. That they were resolved to march off had not Deborah retained them. If Deborah didn't get our mind right, a woman didn't get our mind right, we was finna leave the battle, man. Read on. And commanded them to fight the enemy that very day for that they should conquer them and God would be their assistant. Like, man, y'all better go fight. The Most High got y'all back. A woman had to have some backbone. And you know what, man, was crazy about that? The scripture says nothing new under the sun. And it ain't. Because who is standing up right now all in the street? talking about injustices, 
talking about things that are uh, being done to our people, to our nation. Hell, the uh, the Black Lives Matter movement, not that I agree with the movement, but it was started by a woman, a damn dyke at that. She started the movement. She had the the secular fortitude to go out in the street to put it all on the line. Where the brothers at? Hell, when we out on the street and on the street teaching, we get more sisters come up than brothers ask questions. Where the brothers at? Docile as hell, effeminate as hell. So this ain't nothing new. Read. So the battle began, and when they were come to a close fight, there came down from heaven a great storm with a vast quantity of rain and hail, and the wind blew the rain in the face of the Canaanites, and so darkened their eyes that their arrows and slings were of no advantage. This was coming from the Most High, y'all. The Most High was orchestrating this. This is what this woman, Deborah, was trying to show us. Hey, the Most High got your back. All you got to do is have some carriage. Hey, grab your sacks. Man up. Read on. Their arrows and slings were of no advantage to them, nor would the coldness of the air permit the soldiers to make use of their swords. While this storm did not so much incommode the Israelites because it came in their backs, they also took such courage upon the apprehension that God was assisting them, that they fell upon the very midst of their enemies and slew a great number of them, so that some of them fell by the Israelites and some fell by their own horses, which were put in, into disorder, and not a few were killed by their own chariots. Mm. Now listen to how the Most High helped us. Look how he was fighting for us, and we on the... We, on the sideline doing what? And you know what, nigga? You act like a little bitch right now. You act real paranoid and shit. This is what this is what we be acting like. This is what our people, our men were acting like. Effeminate. Read. Line two hundred seven. At last, Sisera, as soon as he saw himself beaten, fled away and came to a woman whose name was Jael. A Kenite who received him when he desired to be concealed. So, this is talking about this is Jabin, right? Or this is uh, Cicero. Cicero. So Cicero, he was uh, Jabin, one of Jabin's captains. So, the Most High end up smashing these Canaanites. Uh, we jumped in, did a little some some. And Sisera escaped. Read. Um, and when he asked for somewhat to drink, she gave him sour milk. So he escaped and he went into... Read that part again. At last, Sisera, as soon as he saw himself beaten, fled away and came to a woman whose name was Jael, a Kenite. So he came to a woman's tent named Jael, a Kenite. Now, let me see. Um, so let me read this real quick. This is Judges chapter 4 and verse 17. So this goes right along with what we're reading in the Josephus. It says, How be it Sisera fled away 
on his feet to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite. For there was peace between Jabin, the king of Hazor, and the house of Heber, the Kenite. So the reason he fled to her tent is because during that time, they were peaceful with each other. Now read on into Josephus. Who received him when he desired to be concealed, and when he asked for somewhat to drink, she gave him sour milk. So he asked her to hide him. And this dude was thirsty. She gave him sour milk. Sour milk, y'all, is used because people might say, well, why she got sour milk in the first place? Why she giving this milk? So sour, sour milk is uh, used for baking, y'all. It's used to bake goods. Uh, because it helps the dough and stuff rise quicker. It's like pretty much like a leavening agent. Sour milk is not the same as spoiled milk. Spoiled milk you shouldn't be drinking. But sour milk, sour milk is milk that's a couple days past its expiration. So like I said, it's used for baking. So anyway, this dude was drinking it. Read. Of which he drank so unmeasurably that he fell asleep. So he drank a lot of milk and passed out. Read. But when he was asleep, Jael took an iron nail and with a hammer drove it through his temples into the floor. She killed this dude. A woman killed this dude. Now, this this woman, Jael, she was an Israelite, but she just scored the battle. She won the battle for the Israelites, for her people, for her nation. Read. Drove it through his temples into the floor, and when Barak came a little afterwards, she showed Sisera nailed to the ground, and thus was this victory gained by a woman, as Deborah it had. Gained, it was gained by a what? By a woman. Now you ask yourself, well, why did a woman? Did it take a woman to do this? Why is this story even in here? Like I said, the scripture I quoted early, the things written the four times written for our learning, because our men didn't have the backbone. We were acting real effeminate. So the Most High had to prove a point. He had to show us. He had to ridicule us. Man, I'm going to take this dude out by a woman because y'all acting like some punks. Read. As Deborah had foretold. And Deborah had already prop, uh, prophesied this, that a woman was going to get the victory. Because, hell, she knew who she was dealing with. You remember back up uh, in this same chapter, she talked about how she felt some kind of way because, or talked about how she felt some kind of way because, this dude, Barack, was giving her the authority of a man. Read on. Barack also fought with Jabin at Hazor, and where, when he met with him, he slew him. So this woman <laughs> killing uh, Sisera gave Barack some courage. Now, now he found his kahunas. Now he want to be a man. It took all of this for him to man up. That's why this story is in the Bible, y'all. Because our men are still <laughs> operating like this. You got men that won't step up in their own household and wear the pants, so to speak, of the house, make major decisions in the house, run their house. You got the woman in that position that she shouldn't be in. And this is why she's disgruntled. This is why she's upset. Because you ain't taking care of business, sir. You got her doing too much. 
You're supposed to be the head. Be the head. Lead. The Most High was showing us how we were soft and weak as men. That's why this story is even in here. It's not a coincidence. He used a, a, a prophetess, a woman, woman prophet, and he used a woman to win this battle for Israel. That's not a coincidence, y'all. And as we can see, this was something that was unnormal. This normally didn't happen. Get uh, the book of Esther, chapter 2. We're going to start at verse 8. Now, I know there's there are some women that will still try to use um, Judges chapter 4 as an excuse for a woman to teach and to have authority over a man. But, y'all, the Bible says different. And I'm, I'm getting into that, I promise you. All right, where we at? Esther chapter 2 and verse 8. So it came to pass when the king's commandment and his decree was heard, and when many maidens were gathered together unto Shushan, the place, excuse me, the palace, to the custody of Haggai, that Esther was brought also unto the king's house, to the custody of Haggai, keeper of the women. Now, what we're reading, we're just going to read a little bit of this story about Esther, who through her, the Most High saved all Israelites. We were on the brink of annihilation. The Edomite nation was about to take us out as a whole. But the Most High had Esther put in a position to save, to help save Israel from this calamity. So this is that story. This is when she was brought in unto the king before she even became his wife. Read on. And the maiden pleased him, and she obtained kindness of him. And he speedily gave her things for purification. So this is uh, one of the handlers that the king had. Because what happened was uh, this king's wife, uh, what was Vashti. her name? Vasti. She was summoned by the king and she didn't want to come. The king was having a feast and she didn't want to come. She threw her own damn feast. So the king was like, all right, cool. I ain't going to deal with you no more. Let me just replace you. Let me put somebody in your place. So he basically had a contest where he had all these fine virgins come and basically audition for Vasti's position. And Esther was the one that won. Read on. And he speedily gave her things for purification with such things as belonged to her and seven maidens which were meet to be given her out of the king's house. And he preferred her and her maids unto the best place of the house. So of- this was the king's handler. He, he preferred Esther, and he moved Esther up in the ranks. Read. Best place of the house of the women. Now, Esther also, y'all, is where we get the high holy day known as Purim, which means to give gifts. So you can go back and read the story on your own, but there's something I want to get out of this so everybody can see. Read. Verse 10, Esther had not shewed her people nor her kindred, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not show it. So it says Esther had not shown her people nor her kindred, meaning 
these people, because this is during the Persian Mede captivity, they didn't know that Esther was an Israelite. And they didn't know this because it says, for Mordecai had charged her that she should not chew it. This was her uncle, Mordecai, who raised her after her parents had passed away. The word uncle in Hebrew is Abba. That same word Abba also means father. So Mordecai was not just her uncle now, but she looked up to him as if he was her father. But understand, he gave her the order not to tell the Persian Mede peoples who she really was, that she was an Israelite. He gave her this order. And what did she do? She obeyed it. She was in order. I want us to understand this. She was in order. Now, let's find out how much in order she was. So now let's go to uh, the same book, Esther, same chapter, chapter 2. In verse 20 now. And watch this. Esther 2 and 20. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did, did the commandment of Mordecai, like as when she was brought up with him. She always followed her uncles or her father, because what he became to her, she always followed his commandment, meaning she always followed his orders. Why, you ask, did she always follow his orders or his commandments? Because this is a law. This is not just a custom. It's a law within Israel, within our people, our nation. Let's get Numbers chapter 30. Hold this. Get Numbers chapter 30. I'm going to prove it. I want you to start at verse 1. No. Mm-hmm. Numbers 30 and 1. And Moses spake unto the heads of the tribes concerning the children of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. If a man vow a vow unto the Lord, or swear an oath to bind his soul with a bond, he shall not break his words. He shall do according to all that proceedeth out of his mouth. So what he's saying is if you vow a vow, if you say something to the Most High, make a promise to the Most High, tell him something that you ain't going to do no more, then you have to be about your word. You got to mean what you say and say what you mean. You're going to be held accountable. So this is what the Most High is saying. If you say something, then your word is your word, man. Don't go back on your word. That's what it means to take a vow. All right? Now, that's for a man. Now, watch this. You want to what a woman, when a woman takes a vow. Now, read. If a woman also vow a vow unto the Lord and bind herself by a bond, being in her father's house in her youth. She's in her daddy's house, and she is taking a vow to the Most High. She's in her daddy's house, so remember this is important, Reed. Hear her vow, and her bond wherewith she hath bound her soul, and her father shall hold his peace at her, then all her vows shall stand, and every bond wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand. So if a father hear her praying to the Most High, sending up a vow, making a vow to the Most High, then if he hear it and he agrees with it, then cool. I'm going to let that prayer go through to the Most High as a father. 
And you ask yourself, why is her father allowed to have such authority over her? Because it's her father. (laughs) It's his child. It's his possession. And I went over this countless times, y'all. Even in today's society, as a man, when you have a kid, whether it be a male child or a female child, the last name of you is given to the child to represent what? That that's your kid. That kid belongs to me. That's biblical. They got that out of the Bible. That woman belongs to her dad. This is why when a woman got married in ancient times, the groom, her future husband, would have to bring a dowry, which was basically the price that you would pay the father for his daughter because she belonged to him, and she was very valuable. It was his possession, y'all. Read it on. Number 30 in verse 5. But if her father disallow her in the day that he heareth not any of her vows or of her bonds wherewith she hath bound her soul shall stand, and the Lord shall forgive her because her father disallowed her. So he has he has control over this young lady because she belongs to him. I know that's contrary to what you learn in the world. You learn, girl, you gotta listen to him. Girl, you ain't got to obey him, (laughs) the big box. And a lot of our young girls are learning how to disrespect their father through their mother because the mother ain't respected. The mother won't submit to the father. So what do you think the daughter going to do? She ain't going to submit either. She going to, if the mama arguing with the daddy, what the little girl going to do? Arguing with the daddy. If the mama got beef with the daddy, what do you think the little girl going to do? She going to have beef with the daddy. If the mom is hitting the daddy with the beatbox every time the daddy is instructing her and telling her to do something, the same thing the little girl going to do is a piss-poor example. But I went here to show y'all that Esther's example was on point. She was in order with Mordecai, her now father. She was in order. She knew the scriptures. She was doing the will of the Most High. Read on. Verse 6, and if she had at all a husband when she vows or uttereth. Now, uh, listen to this. If this same woman that's in question has a husband, so change of guards. She ain't in her daddy house no more. But now she's with her husband. Now she belongs to her husband. Read. When she vowed or uttered aught out of her lips, wherewith she bound her soul, and her husband heard it, and held his peace at her in the day that he heard it, then her vows shall stand, and her bonds wherewith she bound her soul shall stand. Why? Because now she's her husband's possession. This is the change of the guard. Because remember, even this day and time, once she got married to her husband, she left her maiden name. What's the maiden name? Her daddy's last name. So it was a transfer of property going on. So I ain't wearing my daddy's last name no more because I'm no longer his property. But I am wearing my husband's last name because now what? I'm his property. 
I belong to him now. And I ain't talking about no damn hyphenated last name, women. Why why y'all doing that? That's this it's it's stupid. It's not only stupid, it's very rebellious. I say it's stupid because you get married and you keep your daddy's last name to supposedly claim your independence because you didn't want to take your husband's last name to be known by his last name. But understand that the last name that you got, that ain't your damn name. That's your daddy's name. He gave you that name when you belong to him. Now you're supposed to take on your husband's name now because now you belong to your husband. Leave the other man's name over there and pick up this man's name, who you belong to now. So the reason I even went here, y'all, was to show us how Esther was in order with her father. Now let's go back there and read that part again in Esther chapter 2, and I believe it was verse 20. Esther 2 and 20. Esther had not yet showed her kindred nor her people as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther did the commandment of Mordecai, like as when she was brought up with him. She always followed her uncle, her father's example, and what they told her to do. She always followed their orders, their commandments, y'all. This is a law. This is how we do things in Israel, contrary to the rest of the world. Now, give me Esther chapter 4. Start at verse 10. Esther 4 and 10. And again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him the gave him commandment unto Mordecai. Now, listen to this. Now, this is when the decree was ordered that all the Jews that were, that were in the Persian Meat Empire and all their provinces at this particular time were going to be murdered. And Mordecai sent word to Esther telling her, hey, you can stop this. You got to get into the king to see him so you can stop our nation from being annihilated. So the messenger is this dude, Hattach. He brought the word. He was the go the go between between Esther and Mordecai, and that's what we're reading in chapter four and read verse nine again. Verse nine. Mm-hmm. And Hatak came and told Esther the words of Mordecai. Mm-hmm. Again, Esther spake unto Hatak and gave him commandment unto Mordecai. So this is what she gave him to say back to Mordecai. Read. All the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces do know that what whosoever whether man or woman, shall come unto the king into the inner court who is not called, there is one law of his to put him to death. So so what she's saying is, hey, look, tell Mordecai that I can't just walk into the king and just start talking to him. There's a protocol. I got to make an appointment. And if I just walk in, then I I could lose my life. I could die. Except such to whom the king shall hold out the golden scepter. But if the king hold out the golden scepter, read. That he may live. I, then I can come in and talk to him. Read. But I have not been called to come in unto the king these 30 days. I ain't seen the king in 30 days, man. I can't get in to see him, Mordecai. That's what she's basically saying. She said, if I do get in, I jeopardize my life. I put my life at risk. 
Read. And they told to Mordecai Esther's words. And the messenger came back and delivered the words. Now listen to what Mordecai says. Read. Then Mordecai commanded to answer Esther, Think not with thyself that thou shalt escape in the king's house more than all the Jews. So he said, hey, don't think just because of your position that you're going to escape from the calamity that our nation now faces. You ain't going to get away. Because remember, he told her to hide who she was, right? Mm-hmm. But at this particular time, she ain't no more hiding. You can't hide who you is now. Somebody knows that you're a Jew. Somebody going to tell that you're a Jew. Read. Verse 14. For if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. He said, Esther, if you don't say nothing right now, then the Most High is going to deliver us through somebody else. He's going to give us salvation through somebody else. No different than he did back in Barak's day by using uh, the sister Deborah and the other sister, what was her name, Jabin? Jabin? Jael. Or Jael. He can use somebody else. This is what Mordecai is telling Esther. Don't think you safe up in the king's house. If the Most High don't use you, he'll use somebody else. Now watch this, read. Enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. He said, but you and your daddy's house, meaning your kin folks, the rest of your father's lineage, is going to die. Read. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now, so what he's telling her is, you have the opportunity to save us, but if you choose not to do so, the most I'm going to choose somebody else, and you and your lineage are still going to die. And he said, and you don't know, maybe the most High put you in this position for this particular moment so you could save Israel. Now, let's see what she said. Read. Verse 15. Then Esther bade them return Mordecai this answer. So this is what she said back to Mordecai. Read. Go gather together all the Jews that are present in Shushan and fast ye for me. Can you get the people together and have them fast? Do it for me. Don't eat no food. Don't drink no water. Read. And neither eat nor drink three days, night or day. Fast for me for three days. Read. I also and my maidens will fast likewise. I'm going to fast too, and I'm going to tell my maids to fast. Read. And so will I go in unto the king, which is not according to the law. And she said, I'm going to go in unto the king, even though I'm going to be breaking his order, his law. Read. And if I perish, I perish. And if I die, I die. So was she telling Mordecai, hey, I ain't going to do that. I ain't risking my life for you niggas. Uh-uh, y'all on y'all own with this one. No, she didn't say that. She stayed in order with her uncle, her father. I'm going to stay in order, even if it means my life. Read. So Mordecai went his way and did according to all that Esther had commanded him. He went and did what Esther had told him to do because it was for the greater good of the nation. And you read on in the story, and you see how Esther, she saved her people. So even though the Most High used her to save Israel, Esther still was what? In order. <laughs> she still was in order. See, a lot of people like to say, and they like to try to use Deborah 
as the example that a woman can have authority, a woman can do X, Y, Z, but they completely missing how a woman still needs to be in order. Yes, the Most High can use a woman to deliver a message, to try to get his point across, to hell, even be a savior for the nation. But that woman still has to be what? In order as a woman. We already went over how that's the law. Come on, y'all. Let's get Matthew chapter 27 and verse 55 now because people like to try to use this verse also to say that a woman can have authority and she can be over a man. Because that's basically what it comes down to, y'all. The reason people use Judges chapter 4 and stories like it is to try to justify a woman having some authority over a man. But what I'm proving to y'all is that that's out of order with the most high. That is inappropriate. That is sin. So we just read how a woman's supposed to be in order in numbers. And remember, once again, sin is the transgression of the law. What we read in numbers was a law. That wasn't a suggestion. So Matthew chapter 27 and read verse 55. Matthew 27 and 55. And many women were there beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. So it says that, and this is when, uh, matter of fact, we got to read up. Start at verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent. Start at 50. Matthew 27 and 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. So this is when Yahushua died, y'all. This is when he was on the cross. He was crucified. And he died. Read. Verse 51. That's what it means when it says he gave up the ghost. Verse 51. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And the earth did quake. And the rocks rent. Because remember, he told them that uh, the temple was going to be destroyed. And that temple was the temple that Herod built, y'all. Herod was from the um, the Herodian uh, lineage. He was an Edomite. He was a nation. But he studied under uh, our laws and our customs. But this is when um, the temple was destroyed. Like Christ predicted. Read on. Verse 52. And the graves were opened, and many bodies of saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. So you had zombies just walking all throughout the city. This is after Christ died. Read. And see, now when the centurion. And they that were with him, watching Jesus, saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto him. They said that these women were there, but these were the same women that followed Christ from Galilee, 
ministering unto him. Now, a lot of people might think that the word minister, look the word minister real quick. Because of the church, they might think that this word ministering right here means that these women were ministers. They was teaching. They was preaching. These people really don't understand the Bible, and they just read just to be reading and not for edification purposes. Get yourself a dictionary, please. And if it's a word that you're unfamiliar with, if you think, if you think you're familiar with the word, get the definition. Because some of these words don't appear in the context that you think they should be used in. Read. Minister, one officiating or assisting the officiant in church worship. Now, this is what people think when they think of the word minister. An officiant in the church. What else? A clergyman or a clergywoman, especially of Protestant right. community. Right, clergyman, clergywoman. This is where we get this whole notion that women can teach, et cetera, et cetera. Now, jump down in the definition and get the definition that what minister really means. Because according to these definitions, these women here in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 55, when Christ was coming up from Galilee, they was teaching him. They was preaching to Christ. How, first of all, how are they going to teach Christ? I'm just curious. How are they teaching Christ anything when he's the teacher? He's the son of the most high. He should be teaching them, shouldn't he? So how the hell is women teaching Christ? Man, stop. You got the definition for minister? So minister, used as a verb, as in this case, to give aid or service. To, to what? Give aid or service. So when we read Matthew 27, verse 55, they were giving aid or service to Christ. These women were giving aid or service to Christ. Like you read about the woman who cleaned, who washed Christ's uh, feet with her hair, with the oils. She was doing a service to Christ. So when it says they were ministering unto him, this means they was giving him some water, giving him some food, basically waiting on him. Come on, man. Y'all need to stop this madness. Now let's get uh Oh, I'm sorry, Mashaba. What was the, uh, here we go. Let me get it real quick. So what we read out of the Josephus was uh, Josephus book five, chapter five. It was on page 140. I'm sorry. I'm just reading this text, text message now. Go ahead. All right, we're still dealing with this word minister. Now, let's get Matthew chapter uh, 20. We're going to stay in Matthew. We're still dealing with the word minister, y'all, which basically means to serve, okay? Not what you heard in church, minister is a preacher. Mm-mm. So Matthew chapter 20, verse 28, and it reads, even as the Son of Man came not 
to be ministered unto. So Christ said he didn't come for people to serve him. Because the word minister means to serve. He says, but to be ministered, meaning he came to serve people. He came to serve us. It says, and to give his life for a ransom for many. What? What? What is? What? You can't get no higher in servitude than that than to give your life for somebody else's. You can't get no higher than that. That's this is what it means to minister. It means to serve, to give something to somebody. It doesn't mean to stand behind the pulpit or in front of the pulpit teaching and preaching. It don't mean that, y'all. It does not mean that. Let's get Mark now. Mark chapter 1. Mark 1 and verse uh, 31. Now watch this. We're going to Mark chapter 1 verse 31. It says, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. So this is when Shai had healed, I forgot who this was. He had healed a woman of her ailment. It says, and the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. I believe this was Peter's wife. She had a fever. The Most High, or Shai had took away this fever. Christ took away her fever. It says, and she ministered unto them. So, as a matter of fact, it was. It was uh, Peter's wife, verse 30. But Simon's wife's mother, or his mama, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and anon they tell, they, they tell him of her. So they told Christ she was sick, right? Verse 31. And he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her. And she ministered unto them. So what does it mean she ministered unto them? Does that mean after her fever left that she started teaching and preaching to them? No, it means she served them, y'all. Christ healed her, and he, and she, as soon as she got home, wasn't feeling sick no more, she started serving them, gave them something to drink, made a meal for them, et cetera, et cetera. Cousin, I know this, but the Most High said his word don't go out void. <laughs> Cousin say that these women so bullheaded they ain't going to hear it. I already know this. <laughs> but you remember what uh, the Most High told Ezekiel? I forget the chapter. He told Ezekiel to go and teach the people. And he told Ezekiel, he said, they ain't going to listen to you. He said, because they don't listen to me. <laughs> this is what the most I told Ezekiel. He said, they're not going to listen to you because they don't listen to me. <laughs> but he, you know what he told Ezekiel? He said, go anyway. <laughs> he said, go anyway and teach them. <laughs> so because I'm going to teach anyway, even if they ain't listening, because somebody's listening. The most high word don't go out void. Um, so let's go to, uh, let me see. So where do people get, uh, people get the notion from of women preaching? So 
I did this last time, and I got to I gotta go back into this, y'all, to show y'all where people get the notion of this nonsense from, man. So let's go here. Y'all might be saying, which I'm probably you already covered this, you already read this. Why are you going over this again? I have to because this uh, links everything I'm talking about together. This is where it comes from. Read this. And tell them where you're reading from. From field.co, that's S-E-E-L-D. Field guides monogamy. A couple, the writer. So what are you reading about? Monogamy. This is monogamy. Monogamy. And I read this the last class I did, but like I said, this spills over into what we're talking about today. Read on. A couple, the writer and psychoanalyst Adam Phillips writes in his book, Monogamy, is a conspiracy in search of a crime. Sex is often the closest. No, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. I want you to jump down. We're not going to read all of that. Read this right here. Monogamy as policy. Socially. So, monogamy as policy. And I already went over how monogamy was a social construct, a religious construct. They made it up. Read. Socially imposed monogamy was first established in ancient Greece and Rome. So it was first established in ancient Greece and ancient Rome. Read. Even if sexual infidelity with concubines and slaves was largely tolerated. One of the plausible reasons... Meaning that the Romans had side pieces on the low. Even though they was pushing monogamy, they wouldn't follow monogamy. They had side pieces on the low low. Read. One of the plausible reasons, as explained by R.D. Alexander in The Biology of Moral Systems, was that monogamous groups were advantaged militarily over polygenous groups. So this was their reason for implementing monogamy, because... They were victorious in battles. Monogamous, monogamous uh, groups, they, they will win many wars. Read on. Imposing monogamy meant that fewer men would leave a group to search for wives elsewhere and would be available to fight in battles and pay taxes. As Christianity emerged in the Roman Empire in the first centuries A.D., it embraced monogamy and took it further. Christianity, pagan Christianity embraced monogamy and they took it a step further. So this is why you get women talking about the prophetess Deborah and how a woman can preach and teach and et cetera, et cetera, because it was woven into Christianity by way of monogamy. Read on. And took it further, insisting that two people must reserve their bodies and desires for each other. Marriage becoming an everlasting threesome with God. It was Christianity that spread monogamy throughout the Western world, even as it struggled to fully justify its monolithic order on romance. All right. Now, that's all I want to get from that. Now, let's go here. So I'm bring, I'm be bringing out several articles, y'all. Y'all know y'all know how I get down. The Bible says prove all things, so I gotta have the proofs on deck. Oh wait a minute, I skipped one. Let me close this one. We're gonna get this next. We're gonna come right back to it. 
where I want to go. This one right here. Mm-hmm. Now you know what? Let me let me let me get straight to the point, man. I can do that. We can jump ahead a little bit. So what I wanted to forget was that monogamy was adopted, was created by the Romans, but it was adopted by Christianity. All right? I want us to understand this. Now, listen to this right here. Read the headline. Tell them where you're reading from. From ScienceDirect.com, Mechanisms of Sexual Egalitarianism in Western Europe. Mechanism of what? Of sexual egalitarianism in Western Europe. So egalitarianism. Jump down and read the article. You want the uh-uh. abstract? Yes, I do. This paper presents historical evidence on marriage patterns in ancient Sparta, Rome, early Christianity, and the early Middle Ages. Now, the headline said that we were going to talk about egalitarianism. egalitarianism. Egalitarianism means equality, y'all. This is what it's talking about. But how the hell we get into marriage? Because egalitarianism and monogamy are synonymous with one another. They run hand in hand. Now read this. Monogamy occurred in all of these societies, but there is a great deal of diversity in origin and function of monogamous mating arrangements. Y'all see this? But we're talking about egalitarianism, equality. But somehow, it's been jumping to monogamy. They're one and the same. I hope everybody's seeing this. Read. In the case of Sparta, monogamy arose as part of an intensely egalitarian, racially homogenous social structure, which fostered intense cooperation and altruism within the group. Now, it says Sparta. Sparta was a Roman providence, y'all. Because remember the article we read before that said the Romans made monogamy up. Read on. In the case of Rome, monogamy coexisted with pronounced social, political, and economic inequalities, and there was much more ethnic diversity at Rome than at Sparta. So what it's basically saying is that Rome believed in equality, but only equality to up to some point. They believe in diversity, but only up to some point. All right? I hope everybody's understanding this. Now, that's all I wanted to get from that, because I wanted to show that monogamy and egalitarianism or one in the same. One in the same, y'all. Let me see if this is it. Yep, this is it right here. So now I'm going to another article. Tell them where you're reading from. This is from the Women Against Violence Europe. Uh, network, wave-network.org. Now, I'm going into this because I'm trying to show everybody how this whole equality, egalitarian thing, 
is basically the women's liberation movement before the movement. I want us to understand this. Before the movement. Read this. The title of the article, Why I Call Myself a Feminist, May 4th, 2018. (laughs) Why I Call Myself a Feminist. Read. It is very often the case that people refuse to describe themselves as feminists, either because they don't like to label themselves, but they still stand for equality between men and women, or because they do not like the word feminism itself and think of themselves rather as a humanist, equalist, or egalitarian. Ooh, they don't think of themselves that way, but they are that way. So a feminist is a egalitarian. A feminist is an egalitarian, meaning they believe in equality. So beat it up to today's time. What what are women talking about who call themselves feminists? Equal rights for everybody, and this is where you get the letter people coming in the LGBT. Movement, they come in now, but this these are all social constructs. This ain't got nothing to do with the Bible, even though it's been woven into religion. It ain't got nothing to do with the Bible. I hope everybody's understanding this. Read because that way they do not only sound pro women. The word feminism. <laughs> so they don't like being called what? Feminist. They don't like being called feminist because they don't sound what? Because they do not want to sound only pro-women. They don't want to sound like they're only for women because remember they're egalitarians, meaning they stand for equality. But if they say they're feminists, then they look like they're not being equal. <laughs> These people are stupid, man. Now, I want to show y'all something. So you ask yourselves, where did this whole feminist, egalitarian, um, monogamy stuff come from? And we know that the Romans came up with this, right? So let's dig into this. Tell them where you're reading from. From GreekGodsAndGoddesses.net. This is a a list of the Greek and Roman goddesses, y'all, all right? Because the Romans and the Greeks are one and the same. That's why it was called the Greco-Roman Empire. So I want you to start at the top. We're not going to get the males. We're going to get the females. So wherever you see goddess. Do you want me to read this? Yeah, read that. Most of the Greek gods and goddesses were adopted by the ancient Romans, although... They were adopted by who? The ancient Romans. Keep that in mind. Read. Although, in most cases, there was a change of name. In the table below is a list of the Greek gods and heroes and their Roman equivalents. Mm. Hera is the Greek name. Her Roman name is Juno, goddess of marriage. Hera? Also known as Juno in Rome is the what? Goddess of marriage. She's the goddess of marriage. Read the next one. Okay. Uh, Aphrodite, also known as Venus, is the goddess of love. Mm Mm-hmm. Read on. Demeter, 
also known as Ceres, is the goddess of the harvest. Read. Athena, also known as Minerva, is the goddess of wisdom. Read. Artemis, also known as Diana, is the goddess of the hunt. Read. Persephone, also known as Proserpine, is also known as the goddess of the underworld. Read. Rhea, also known as Ops, is the mother of Zeus or wife of Cronus. Nike, also known as Victoria. Nike. Where you get the Nike logo from? It means victory. It's the goddess what? Nike, also known as Victoria, is the goddess of victory. Now, the goddess Victoria. Y'all remember the series Wonder Woman? Uh, Wonder Woman, one of her names, I believe, was that she went by was Victoria, I believe it was. I know she went by the name Diana, which we know as a goddess. No, I'm I'm tripping. The woman who played Diana uh, or played Wonder Woman was named Victoria. But anyway, uh, the word uh, or the goddess Nike or Victoria is the goddess of what? Victory. Victory. Keep going. Selene, also known as Luna, is the also known as the goddess of the moon. All right, is that it? Mm-hmm. So that's all the goddesses. We didn't even get the gods, the the male deities. We got all the Roman female deities. Now this is why I got there. Hold on, woo, woo, woo. man. I hope y'all heard. I heard. Hope y'all heard that because my phone was covered up. The speaker was covered up. I hope y'all heard that. So now let's go. Uh, let's go here. Now listen to this, y'all. From Wikipedia, Queen of Heaven. From Wikipedia, Queen of Heaven. Queen of Heaven is a title given to the Virgin Mary. It's a title given to who? The Virgin Mary. This title, Queen of Heaven, is given to the Virgin Mary, y'all. Read. By Christians, mainly of the Catholic Church. By who? Christians, mainly of the Catholic Church. Christians of the Catholic Church. Now, in case you didn't know, all religions spawn from the Catholic or the Universal Church. Whether you're a straight-up Catholic or whether you're a Protestant. The word Protestant comes from the word protest. So you had certain Catholics that protested the Catholic Church and became known as Protestants. And that's basically all the other religions besides Catholicism. Well, read on. Queen of Heaven is a title given to the Virgin Mary by Christians, mainly of the Catholic Church and to a lesser extent in Anglicanism, Lutheranism, and Eastern Orthodoxy. You see that? Like I just said. Lutherism, they're Protestants. The Eastern Orthodox Church is talking about the original Catholic Church. Read on. The Catholic teaching on this subject is expressed in the papal encyclical Ad Caeli Reginam, issued by Pope Pius XII in 1954. It states that Mary is called Queen of Heaven because her son, Jesus Christ, is the King of Israel and the Heavenly King of the Universe. So this is their explanation for them calling Mary the Queen of Heaven. 
Now, watch this. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 7, y'all. Chapter 7. We're going to start at verse 17. Stay with me, y'all. I hope this is not confusing. What what, what I'm attempting to do is to show y'all how... um, Oh, man. I had a brain fart. It's to show y'all how monogamy, uh, egalitarianism, and the worship of women are all woven in to religion. And this is where we get the woman preacher from, y'all. So where we at? Jeremiah chapter 7, verse 17. Seest thou not what they do in the cities of Judah? So this is the most high speaking to Jeremiah. He's like, man, you don't see what they're doing in the cities of Judah, in the cities of Israel? Read. And in the streets of Jerusalem? Read. The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven. They what? The children gather wood, and the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead their dough to make cakes to the queen of heaven. To the queen of heaven. Is he talking about Mary, the the mother of Christ right here? Hell no, he is not. Is that it? And to pour out drink offerings unto other gods. To other who? Other gods. These are other gods. So the queen of heaven is a whole nother deity, is a whole nother god that the Israelites were serving and worshiping. Is that it? Uh, and they may provoke me to, excuse me, that they may provoke me to anger. And this pissed the most high off. Because remember in Exodus chapter 20, he said, thou shalt have no other gods before me. Now, let's get Jeremiah chapter 44 and sort of verse 13. 44. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah 44 and verse 13. Jeremiah chapter 44 and verse 13. For I will punish them that dwell in the land of Egypt, as I have punished Jerusalem, by the sword, by the famine, and by the pestilence. So the Most High said, I'm going to punish y'all. The ones that dwell in Egypt, we're going to find out who he's talking about in a second. Read. So that none of the remnant of Judah, which are gone into the land of Egypt to sojourn there, shall escape or remain, that they should return into the land of Judah. So it was talking about the Israelites, the Judites, that went down into the land of Egypt to live there or to travel there. Read. To the which they have a desire to return to dwell there. For none shall return, but such as shall escape. Read. Verse 15. Then all the men which knew that their wives had burnt incense to other gods. They knew their wives had done what? Burnt incense to other unto other gods. Worshiping other gods. Read. And all the women that stood by, a great multitude, even all the people that dwelt in the land of Egypt, in Pathros answered Jeremiah saying So this is what they said And remember these were the women that was going And worshipping these other gods Read As for the word that thou hast spoken unto us In the name of the Lord We will not hearken unto thee We ain't gonna listen to you Jeremiah Nigga you can go somewhere Boy please Whatever <laughs> Read but we will certainly do whatsoever thing goeth forth out of our own mouth to burn incense. We going to do what come out of our own, our own mouth. Whatever we come up with, we going to do that. 
Read. To burn incense unto the queen of heaven. They was burning incense to who? The queen of heaven. It's the same one we was, he was talking about in Jeremiah chapter 7. Now listen to this. Read. And to pour out drink offerings unto her as we have done, we and our fathers, our kings, and our princes in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem. So these women had men following them into idolatry. Read. For then had we plenty of victuals and were well and saw no evil. Man, we, we've been doing good since we've been worshiping the queen of heaven, since we've been worshiping these other gods. Read. But since we left off to burn incense to the queen of heaven. But when we stopped, you made us stop worshiping her. Read. And to pour out drink offerings unto her, we have wanted all things. Man, now we've been one thing. Now we're doing bad. Because you made us stop worshiping these other gods. Read. And have been consumed by the sword and by the famine. So they were saying it was not prosperous to worship the Most High, but it was very prosperous to worship the Queen of Heaven. Now remember, the Catholics call Mary the Queen of Heaven. Now watch this. Tell them where you're reading from. Queen of Heaven. From the Wikipedia, from Wikipedia, this is Queen of Heaven in antiquity. Now remember, the church folks was called Mary, the Queen of Heaven. Now watch this. Queen of Heaven was a title given to a number of ancient sky goddesses. Sky goddesses. This is what he's talking about in Jeremiah. Read. Worshipped throughout the ancient Mediterranean and the ancient Near East. Goddesses known to have been referred to by the title include. Now listen to this. Inanna. Inanna. Y'all remember uh, who was that? Uh, Rihanna had that song. Inanna. What's my name? Inanna. What's my name? Yeah, she's a demon. Read. Anat. Read. Isis. Mm-hmm. Nut. So Isis. So all all these brothers running around with this Egyptian nonsense. Talking about Isis, Nut, who else? Astarte. Astarte, read. And possibly Asherah. Mm-hmm. The prophet, Jer- by the prophet Jeremiah. In Greco-Roman times. Now listen to this. In Greco-Roman times. Hera and Juno bore this title. Hera and Juno. Y'all remember we just read that. That was one of the Romans' deities. She's the queen of heaven. So do y'all see how that was woven into religion? And now they call Mary, the mother of Christ, the queen of heaven? Boy, y'all seeing this? Let's get Luke chapter 11 and verse 27. This is why Christ said this, y'all. So we're going to Luke chapter 11 and verse 27. Luke chapter 11 and verse 27. And it came to pass, as he spake these things, a certain woman of the company lift up her voice and said unto him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee and the paps which thou hast sucked. So this woman said this to Christ. Blessed are the wombs that bear thee and the, the titties that you were sucking on as a baby. Given uh, worship or praise, or homage to the woman. But remember, that's what the Israelites was doing back in Jeremiah's time, the queen of heaven, the same queen of heaven that the Catholic Church adopted 
as well as other religions, and now the woman is being praised. Now the woman is being put in a position of position and authority. Read. But he said. Now listen to what Christ told her though. Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. He said, no, uh-uh, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. Read. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. Now, why would he say this is an evil generation? Because he knew who they were trying to worship. They were still stuck on worshiping the queen of heaven. That's why he said this. He knew they were going to deify his mother. Put her up. Make her a goddess. Hera. He knew this. We were still doing this. This is nothing new, y'all. We were still glorifying and praising women. Christ had to come back and say, "Uh uh-uh. Y'all are evil generation. Read on. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it. Ain't no sign going to be given to y'all. Y'all looking for the queen of heaven? Uh Uh-uh. Read. But the sign of Jonas, the prophet. But the only sign y'all going to get is y'all going to get a prophet sign. He he, he said Jonas. What are you talking about, Jonah? Read. For as Jonas was a sign unto the Ninevites, so shall also the Son of Man be to this generation. Now, what was Jonah uh, uh, selected to do? To go and teach the people of Nineveh, to tell them about the Most High and how they was messing up. So this is what Christ is talking about. You ain't going to get no sign. You ain't going to get no goddess. You're going to get the word. You're going to get the word of the Most High. He said he came to do the same thing that Jonah was commissioned to do, teach the word of the Heavenly Father. That's what he came to do. But our people looking for what? A woman to come with some damn sign to to give us. God told me this. God told me that. And remember, once again, y'all, a prophet or a prophetess is what? Somebody who gives you the word of God and edifies it or somebody that does the will of the Heavenly Father through their example, through their actions. Nothing more, nothing less. So this is a good place to stop, y'all. I am not done with this topic by far. I mean, more place quick. Thank, uh, thank you to Water for everybody for tuning in to Water Mashaba for hooking up the broadcast. Um, hope to see, uh, hope to to do the show uh, next Tuesday, man. Lord willing. Uh, and until next. Um, y'all tell a friend to tell a friend to tell a friend to please tune in to Tug of Pop Tuesday Tug of Pop Tuesday Tug of Pop Tuesday every Tuesday the water y'all for tuning in with that we're gonna say shalom. shalom